0: Thank you so much for joining us again here. This is Haunted 518, Upstate New York's paranormal podcast, focusing on the 518 area code. So after recording my first ever podcast episode last week, I realized two things. The first is that I should probably preface all of this by saying I am by no means a podcast or paranormal expert. Second, and maybe more importantly, is that I need a drink while I do this. So going forward to set the mood and give myself a little something to keep my beak wet, I'll be cracking open a cold one to keep me company on this spooky ride. So I'm going to go ahead and crack open what I'll be drinking this week. This week I'm drinking Shipyard Pumpkinhead. And yes, the rim of my glass is absolutely coated in cinnamon and sugar. This has to be one of my, if not my favorite pumpkin beer. Shipyard goes down smooth and to begin with, but add pumpkin and it is a true pumpkin flavor. Paired with my sugary rim, then you have one of the best seasonal beers in my opinion. That is so good. Before I begin, I just wanted to remind you all, send in your stories. You can do it anonymously. I don't care, I just want to share spooky experiences in the 518. I also wanted to mention which numbers on the Haunted 101 list we went over last week that I personally relate to. I'll definitely delve into how I relate to them in future episodes, but here's a quick synopsis. Number two, which was being watched by something, aka the psychic staring effect or scopoethesia. Number three, unexplained sounds and noises, specifically banging, running water, and footsteps. Number six, things disappearing. Number seven, shadow figures and orbs, specifically shadow figures in my experience. Number eight, change in personality. Number nine, feeling an invisible touch. Number 11, hearing whispers and cries. Number 13, cold spots. And oh, the most chilling, number 15, actual physical evidence, specifically in my case, writing. So now that I gave myself chills, I'm going to go ahead and take another sip. Oh, it's so good. So on this episode, we're heading north. I intentionally decided to hold off on a few key stories from the North Country until this episode, since I'm actually in the North Country this week. I'm currently recording from Chattagay, New York on Lower Chattagay Lake. I think most 518ers are familiar with this area because of the proximity to the Clinton Correctional Facility, the famous prison where in June of 2015, two convicted murderers broke out of the correctional facility in Dannemora in New York's North Country, launching the most extensive manhunt in state history. Aided by prison employee Joyce Mitchell, double murderer Richard Matt and cop killer David Sweat slipped out of their cells, followed a network of tunnels and pipes under the 30-foot prison wall, and climbed out of a manhole to freedom. It was a surreal time up here, and I remember being up here during the manhunt, and it was eerie to say the least. So now, I invite you to sit back relax, and enjoy some more stories from the 518, starting in the Capital Region and moving northward. So to start off, we're going to head back to Schenectady, Jackson's garden at Union College. It's said to be haunted by the ghost of Alice Vanderveer, According to legend, Alice fell in love with a man her father didn't approve of, so he killed his daughter's young lover. In retaliation, an angry mob captured Alice and her father and burned them alive in Jackson's garden. Next, we'll head over to Ballston Lake, Carney's Tavern. Owners and staff have reported feeling someone tap them on the shoulder when the building is totally empty. The historic site is next to the railroad tracks that carry passengers to and from New York City to the Adirondacks. Teddy Roosevelt was said to have stopped at Kearney's, then the Boston Lake Hotel, to refresh himself as he hurried to Buffalo following the assassination of President McKinley. Next we'll move on to Boston Spa, the Crandall House. It was built in the 1800s by the unsuccessful stockbroker, Sylvester Crandall, for himself and his wife Julie. Legend has it that the two fought incessantly over money, and Sylvester was often seen by himself in the house's coppola. In 1887, Julia's mother, sister, and stepsister came to take Julia home. Sylvester shot Julia's mother and stepsister to death while her sister ran and hid. Then Sylvester shot Julia before going up to the coppola and shooting himself. After this, the neighbors were puzzled to see Sylvester still walking on his property at night or sitting in the cupola. The light there would stay on until the sun came up. There's also an account from a neighbor, James Mann, who became stuck in the snow one night and was helped by another man who appeared to be Sylvester. Next, we're going to move on to Saratoga. The first location is the Saratoga National Historical Park. There is said to be a ghost of a black man in a three-cornered hat and ragged militia uniform that was said to appear and tell his story to a visitor he told her he thought he was shot and killed by his own men after he told her the tale he simply vanished no one has seen him since and the general opinion is that telling his story enabled him to move on towards the afterlife he may have waited 220 years for someone who was willing and able to hear and understand him also around the battlefield, other soldiers, other soldiers' ghosts are said to appear and sometimes moan in pain and speak. The second location in Saratoga is the Saratoga County Homestead, also known as the Homestead Sanitarium. It opened in 1914 as a tuberculosis hospital. It is rumored to be haunted by patients who perished here, one of whom may be Mr. Horace Carpentier, buried at the nearby Barkersville Cemetery. I'm going to go ahead and take a sip. That is so delicious. Next we'll head over to Stillwater, the Stillwater Union Cemetery. This cemetery is where visitors swear they regularly see a green glowing light hovering around certain gravestones. Next is Gloversville, Prospect Hill Cemetery. In July of 1874, the Ohama Daily Bee newspaper reported a ghostly woman in white at the Prospect Hill Cemetery. She was seen from an adjacent marble cutting shop coming from the cemetery straight towards the shop's door. The frightened shop occupants hurried out the back, but the ghost appeared before them asking them where her children were. One man pulled out a gun and shot at the ghost, which did nothing, so they followed her to the cemetery where she disappeared. The ghost came back again the next night, and after that, the men decided to go someplace else to sleep at night. Next, we'll head over to Fort Edward. The first location in Fort Edward is the Anvil Inn. Built in the 1840s as a blacksmith shop, the popular dining spot provides unexpected entertainment when a female specter allegedly turns turns lights and music on or off, or drops bottles on the floor. The second location in Fort Edward is the Jane McCray House. Jane McCray was murdered by Native Americans during the American Revolution. At her former home, residents have reported footsteps in the attic and lights that mysteriously come on when no one is in the house. Next, we'll head over to Broad Broadalbin. The Broad Alban Hotel, which is now a restaurant, is a historic former hotel and hideout for a ghostly presence who likes to sit on the beds and turn the lights on and off. Some folks have reported seeing apparitions in military uniforms. Next is Lake George, the Fort William Henry Museum. Ghost tours are offered at Fort William Henry Henry from May through October, telling stories of victims of the French and Indian War that were investigated by the team on the sci-fi channel show Ghost Hunters. Spirits even have charming nicknames like Limper, who creeps with an uneven footstep, and the Slammer, who slams doors, of course. Next, we'll head over to Bolton Landing, the Long Island Campgrounds, at the south end of Lake George is a ghostly bride, some say, looking for her husband after they were murdered while sleeping on their honeymoon in the late 1960s. Next, the second location in Bolton Landing is the Sagamore Hotel. I have several stories that I'm going to go ahead and tell from firsthand accounts from employees and guests. Story number one, employees and guests have seen off the main hotel lobby a woman in her early 20s named Lillian. She stayed at the Sagamore during the first hotel era. She is always standing on an open porch, currently the front office, looking down the lake. She wears a pinkish brown colored dress that has points of lace at the waist and has a leg of mutton sleeves. It is in very high fashion. Story tells that she is supposed to be here with friends from Philadelphia and is waiting for her friends so they can go off boating for the afternoon. Story number two. In the elevator nearest the concierge there are reports of a ghost named walter who is dressed in a three-piece brown suit he has a well-tanned walrus mustache he's either on his way to or returning from the card room at the time that he visited the card room was located where the first floor rooms currently are guests would retire there after a meal play cards smoke and drink liquor story number three In Mr. Brown's kitchen, there is said to be a woman about 30 years old who is dressed in a gown from the 1930s. The gown is a light green with a Greek key design and darker green. She also has been seen on the second and third floor hallways. Story number four. On the second and third floor hallways, some say there is a man dressed in a long black coat or cape. His black slacks show beneath the coat or the cape and his shoes are black patent leather. He has also been sighted in the hallway by the spa. Story number five. There is supposedly a room on the second floor that is occupied by a former former hotel maid from around the 1930s to maybe 1940s, who was caught having an affair with a hotel guest and immediately fired. She went back to the room to inform the guest that she had been fired. And while she was there, the, the guest's wife returned. The husband had confessed the affair to his wife. So the wife wrestled the maid to the floor pulled pillow off the bed and smothered her to death. The husband was stunned in what he had witnessed and the guests packed and left immediately. The maid was not found until the following morning and it was assumed that she had had a heart attack or some sort of spell. The maid still resides in the room waiting for those guests to return. Her anger has trapped her. She's not able to leave the second floor but does move up and down the hallway. Story number six two female guests called the resort after they had returned home asking if the hotel was haunted one had seen a man in her room standing against the wall watching her she stated she felt very comfortable with him the other guest had seen a child run through the end of her bed and into the bathroom the women occupied two separate rooms story number seven Spiritual sensitives have seen a constant flow of people coming and going through the main doors. Most of the ghosts at the Sagamore are transients who vacationed here in life and continue to vac- vacation here even now. Story number eight. Legend goes that on the Sagamore golf course there is a spirit of a little boy from the 1950s who was killed by a car while chasing golf balls. It is said that he likes to play pranks on the golfers. delicious i just wanted to interject here with a short side story although not in the 518 the the eddie house aka the high life ski club lodge located in chittenden vermont is located just outside of the 518 and worth hearing about formerly the eddie house the building that houses the high life ski club lodge has a long history of being haunted since at least 1874 originally the home of zephaniah Eddy, who had three children william horatio and mary descended from a long line of psychics the eddies were mediums from a young age as convinced by disembodied voices pounding house shaking and even vanishing in their cribs as infants they were also said to play with ghostly, ghostly children who vanished when others would draw near they often went into trances or spoken spirits voices Banished from the school because of levitating desks and books that flew through the air, the children were often beaten by their furious father, Zephaniah. Sick of it all, the man sold his children to a traveling sideshow that took them all over the US, Canada, and Europe for 14 years. In the shows, they suffered even worse abuse than they had received from their father. When Zephaniah died, the boys moved back to the farm with their sister Mary, and they opened the house as the Green Tavern, an inn. The inn had a history of being extremely haunted, and when attorney Henry Steele Olcott read about it in a newspaper story, he went to investigate. He arrived to find a seance being conduct- conducted by Horatio Eddy, where at least 10 spirits appeared. Olcott examined the seance room and spirit cabinet for false panels or other deception and found none. Seances were then held nightly. Spirits who appeared included Chinese, Russians, and Africans, and even inanimate objects, and they often gave performances. As the spirits often spoke in other languages and the Eddies were known to be illiterate, fraud was unlikely. Olcott, convinced of the authenticity of the Eddies' abilities, wrote a book called People from Other Worlds, which included a description of his exploration of the Eddies, including drawings of the spirits, the grounds, and the Eddy House. Heading back into the 518, we're going to go over to Whitehall. Skeen Manor. Another haunted place in Lake George? Must be something in the water. The 1870s built home, originally known as Mountain Terrace, is supposedly haunted by the wife of one-time owner, Philip Skeen. Her spirit has been claimed to be seen near a fountain that was once where her body was buried. Heading up to North Creek, we have Bark Eater's Chocolates. The Bark Eater Chocolates building, circa 1880, is a hotbed for unexplained sounds, including footsteps and voices. Employees have even named a ghost Miranda, claiming she likes the room hot and would turn the thermostat up to 85 degrees until they taped this thermostat dial to keep it from moving. Ghost hunts and investigations take place here year round. Now we'll head over to Chestertown. Wellscroft Lodge. Reports here have been about phantom music and a lady in red who appears on the stairs. She may also appear in the front windows. The location is not currently in operation as a lodge, some reports say it's for sale. Now, we'll head over to Ticonderoga. Fort Ticonderoga. Since the fort has been open to the public, there have been numerous reports made by the employees as well as visitors of what seems to be paranormal activity on the grounds of the fort, leading some in- individuals to claim it as one of the most haunted places in New York. This is not surprising given the many sudden and tragic deaths that took place here, as well as the fact that there are tens of thousands of soldiers buried on the grounds. One legend says General Mad Anthony Wayne's mistress Nancy Coates drowned herself in Lake Champlain when he left her for another woman, and her apparition can be seen running after Wayne or floating in the water. Other reports include many different unexplained sounds such as footsteps, hoofbeats, and voices. Some of the visual activities reported vary from glowing balls of light to mists and shadowy figures, as well as full-bodied apparitions. While while Fort Ticonderoga does have reenactments twice per year of the historical battles that took place at the fort, at other times of the year and after the building has been closed, there have been claims made by staff members on several different occasions and in different areas of the premises that they have seen what appeared to be an individual dressed in 18th century military-style clothing. Balls of light, or orbs, are one of the other commonly reported unexplained phenomena seen at the fort. While orbs are more commonly seen in photographs after they've been taken, these balls of light have been seen in many different areas of the fort by individuals with only their natural visual visual perception. The Atlantic Paranormal Society, or TAPS, investigated the fort for their television show Ghost Hunters, with their findings originally airing on the Sci-Fi Channel in March of 2010. The team managed to catch several EVPs and also witness an unexplainable illumination of a room that was seen by two of the team members at the same time who were located in two different areas. Based on the team's investigation, Jason Hawes of TAPS stated during the reveal, I firmly believe that you have paranormal activity going on here, while talking to a staff member, Christopher Fox. Next, we'll head over to Saranac Lake, Hotel Saranac, According to 10Best.com, this is number 7 of 10 of the most haunted hotels in the United States. This historic hotel in the Adirondack dates back to the Roaring Twenties on the ground of a former local high school. According to local reports, the spirit of Howard Little, the school's superintendent, still roams the property. The 10 best ranking says other sightings include a young girl on the fourth floor, spectral singing on the sixth floor, and mysterious scratching sounds on the third floor. Other unexplained phenomena include doors closing unexpectedly, voices singing, a male specter in a top hat, and heavy feelings or energies. Now heading over to Racket Lake. Brightside on Racket is a secluded inn which is only accessible via water taxi and is alleged to be haunted by the ghost of a woman whose husband disappeared from the inn one night during a blizzard. The story claims that she remains in the room waiting for her husband and can frequently be seen there. She will only leave her room when someone plays her favorite song on the downstairs piano at which point she'll appear there briefly before returning back to her solitary vigil. Next, we're going to head over to Lake Placid. Many people living in New York believe that a particular area of Lake Placid is haunted by the ghost of Mabel Smith Douglas, also known as the Lady of the Lake. Mabel Smith Douglas was a 59 year old woman from New Jersey who was quite renowned by many people on the East Coast as being an amazing educator. Mabel was a trailblazer for many and was also the Dean of the New Jersey College for Women at Rutgers, a college that was later named Douglas College in her honor. Tragically, a series of terrible unfortunate events led Mabel up to her family camp on Lake Placid during September of 1933. Mabel had sadly become all too familiar with tragedy, recently losing her husband unexpectedly and then later dealing with her only son committing suicide. With so much sadness in her life, Mabel found herself institutionalized for nearly a year. In in an attempt to escape from all of her pain, Mabel and her daughter took a trip up to their family camp on the lake to find some peace of mind. She was the only woman to ever go missing and never be found in Lake Placid. She rode out onto the water and was never to be found. After searches went underway, Mabel's canoe was found washed up on the shore near one of the deepest areas of Lake Placid, but she remained missing. Police officers searched the lake and surrounding areas, even hiking trails looking for Mabel. It was an upsetting mystery that bothered many. That is until a trio of scuba divers went for a swim in Lake Placid in 1963 and discovered what they thought was a mannequin. A popular area for people to visit along the middle of Lake Placid is Pulpit Rock, a spot where three scuba divers went for a swim on September 15, 1963. Just a week shy of being exactly 30 years from the date that Mabel had gone missing, roughly 100 feet below the lake's surface, the divers saw what they initially believed to be a mannequin set up in the lake as a prank. It wasn't until one of the divers pulled at the mannequin's arm and it detached from the body and they realized this was an actual human in the bottom of Lake Placid. According to the divers, the body had been preserved so greatly at the bottom of the lake, it looked as though it had only died just moments ago. After it was realized that they had discovered a body, two of the divers swam up to the surface to identify where the body was in the lake and called the authorities, leaving one diver with the body so they would know exactly where it is. Clearly having similar similar fears as I do, the young diver that was left with Mabel grew unnerved by how eerie the body looked. It was reported that the body was on its side with the feet in a curled up position, looking as though it was sleeping and could wake up at any moment. It was because of this that the diver decided he couldn't stay in the water with the body and began to guide it up to the surface himself. Unfortunately, while bringing the body up from off the lake's cold cold depths, pieces began to, well, detach. Not only had an arm been detached when the divers first thought it was a mannequin, but the other issue at hand was also that the body had a rope and anchor wrapped around its neck between getting the anchor off the neck and taking the body out of the cold deep waters that had kept it so well preserved another arm her head and other parts came apart and were damaged by the time it was brought to the surface even though damage was done to the body there was still enough evidence to prove that almost exactly 30 years later Mabel Smith Douglas had been found at the bottom of Lake Placid The fact that Mabel had been the only woman to ever go missing and never be found in Lake Placid was a large indicator that this was her. Mabel had also had a broken arm at the time of her disappearance and gave investigators another way to confirm identifications 30 years later. While her death was ruled an accidental drowning, many believe that Mabel was overcome with sadness and took her own life out on the lake. Over the years, many people living and visiting Lake Placid have claimed to have seen the ghost of Mabel Smith Douglas by Pulpit Rock where her body was found. If if you're curious where exactly this location is, attractions like the Lake Placid boat tours in town features tours that will take you by Pulpit Rock and tell the stories of Mabel's life and death. So you can tell if you believe that Mabel is still haunting the waters of Lake Placid. The second location in Lake Placid is the club. Paranormal experiences that keep popping up in abundance revolve mostly around the buildings of the former Lake Placid club. The club's buildings dated back to the late 1800s and some are still standing today. The main clubhouse and many of its larger buildings no longer exist, but many of the old club cottages were sold and renovated or restored. Although few remnants of the Lake Placid Club remain, there can be no doubt of its impact on the region and the village of Lake Placid. In 1891, Melville Dewey and his wife relocated to Lake Placid for health reasons. Dewey suffered from hay fever. Seeing its potential as a winter wonderland location, Dewey purchased five acres on East Mirror Lake and established the Lake Placid Club in 1891. The club's purpose was simple to enable visitors to enjoy winter activities and rejuvenate in this unique restorative locale of the Adirondacks. Although not a huge success at first, the Lake Placid Club eventually grew to encompass 9,600 acres and employed over 1,000 people in the early 20s. Dewey is credited with introducing the winter sports culture to Lake Placid, although others living there enjoyed the same wintry activities such as snowshoeing, skating, and cross-country skiing. Dewey was the one who made it a common course of action for vacationers visiting the area. Now, modern-day tourists travel to Lake Placid to to continue the legacy of Dewey's winter sports philosophy. As I said, the club's buildings aren't standing anymore, although one can see the remnants of the driveway sloping up to the land of which the club's main building was built. However, there was a ghost story circulating when the club's buildings were still there. Apparently renovations were completed during World War II when the, US Army used, when the US Army used the buildings as a reconditioning center. Thus started the ghostly activity. One of the repeating experiences people have shared is the existence of at least one spirit who floated around the main building of the Lake Placid Club Forest section. The stories were that of an old woman either floating in the air in the hallways, or seeing, or having seen a rocking chair in the library, having been seen in a rocking chair in the library. Melville Dewey, founder of the Lake Placid Club, was also an inventor, was also the inventor of the Dewey Decimal System. Not surprisingly, the club housed ex- an extensive library on the second floor of the building, about dead center of the structure. One of the main staircases was directly in front of the entrance to the library, the walls of which were mostly glass. It was easy to observe what was going on in the main part of the library from the hallway, and it is believed by those who saw her that it was the ghost of Annie Godfrey Dewey, Melville's first wife. She purportedly haunted the hallways around the library as well. Annie died in the summer of 1922 at the age of 73 at her her home near Albany, New York after attending a symphony concert and psychology lecture with her friend Emily Beale, According to the story, they returned home and Annie retired as she always did. At about 1 a.m. she rang for her nurse, as she had done many times because of ill health, but by 2 a.m. she had passed away. In her typewriter was an unfinished poem to her husband. With her last breath, she asked the nurse to give the poem to Melville. She must have been searching for him in the halls of the club until the structure was so damaged by fire it was razed in the January in January of 2002. Next is the Grand View Hotel, the former Grand View Hotel, which was siti- which was situated on the same site as the current Crown Plaza Resort, is on the hill above the conference center at Lake Placid. This is the story by the Lake Placid resident, Ben Cross. This is a personal story that happened to me sometime around 1957 or 58. I used to spend time searching through the old, closed-up Grand View Hotel before it was demolished. The wall, the windows were all boarded up, but I found an opening to get in. This particular day, I was walking down a corridor on the ground floor and came to what I guess was at one time the lobby area. For about 10 seconds, it was, a, it was just as if it was in business. There were several people in old style clothing standing and walking all around that area. I couldn't get, a, get out of there fast enough and I never went back. Who knows if these same spirits inhabit the Crown Plaza, although I've never heard of any such stories. Also in Lake Placid is the Adirondack Correctional Facility. This is an employee story. I worked at the prison, which was originally the tuberculosis hospital in Raybrook. I worked the midnight shift and had to make rounds of all of the buildings. Every time I would go through the dining and kitchen area at a certain spot, the hair on the back of my neck would stand up. and In an area of about 15 feet long was much colder than the rest of the room. It happened several times before I dared to tell anyone about it because I thought they would think I was nuts. When I did tell a coworker, he told me the same thing happened to him, but he never said anything until I did. That opened up a big box of others who had been reluctant to say anything about their experiences. One guy said he was sitting in his office in a long hallway. The lights in his office and hall were all on, but dim. All of a sudden he saw an apparition sort of float by his doorway and down the hall. This was a secure and locked area so no one could get in he went out to the hall and searched but there was nothing or no one to be found another account is from a nurse that relayed the following she worked the midnight shift and had just returned from checking the inmates in the infirmary down the hallway when she got back to the office area and turned to the right to make the corner she was stopped abruptly because she was face to face with a lady dressed in early 1900s nurse's clothing the apparition immediately vanished. The nurse was scared for the rest of her employment at the Adirondack Correctional Facility. The last part involves an inmate who was housed in an adjacent building dorm. He had gone to he had gone to sick call because he was being tormented by a ghost. He even had a name for her, Ellen Clark. She had also been seen walking outside on the roadway between two of the building dorms. He was so upset that he had to be transferred to the psych ward at Clinton Correctional Facility. The interesting thing about my experience is that the area I was affected in is just above where the old sanatorium morgue was located, and where the nurse encounter happened was where the old operating room used to be. Adirondack Correctional was converted to its current use in the 1980s. In its former life, the building served as a hospital for treating tuberculosis patients. Many patients died in the facility, and the spirits are likely of those of the former patients. Lastly, we have the Stagecoach Inn. The Stagecoach Inn on Old Military Road in Lake Placid has a friendly ghost. The Stagecoach Inn is the oldest operating inn in Lake Placid, dating back to the 1700s when it truly was a stagecoach stop. The innkeeper and owner Mary Pat Ormsby reports numerous occasions when items in the inn were moved to randomly odd locations for no explainable reason. She insists it's a wo- she insists it's a woman, although I'm not sure she's ever seen her. She also she is also a decidedly friendly spirit, just a bit mischievous. Book a room and find out yourself if you have the ability to attract a spirit or two. Next, we're going to head up to Plattsburgh. The first location is the Old Stone Barracks. The Old Stone Barracks were once a part of the Plattsburgh Air Force Base, which saw its last remaining units leave in 1995. The building, built in 1838, is said to have been the site of several suicides, and the shadowy figures of individuals dressed in period clothing are said to roam the halls. The site has been restored and transformed to be the home of the Valcor Brewing Company, but the ghosts may still take up residence within the structure. The second location in Plattsburgh is the Hummingbird Home. You want to spend a night in a haunted mansion? Then head to this 1895 Queen Anne Victorian mansion that was once used as a funeral home with an embalming room and an operating casket lift, which still remains there. The haunted history trail says visitors often report an energy in the house, sometimes even seeing or hearing things that aren't there. The last location in Suny is SUNY Plattsburgh, specifically McDonough Hall. McDonough Hall at SUNY Plattsburgh is reportedly very haunted. Witnesses say they have heard toilets flush and radios and fire alarms turn on, seen strange apparitions and bathroom lights that come on and off, and found locked doors unlocked. The hauntings are believed to stem from the hall that was built on the marshland that once stood here. In 1949, construction workers turned up the bones and headstone that read, Wife of Benjamin Vaughn and daughter of Nathan and Roseanne Averill, died December 12, 1812, aged 47 years. Another grisly tale about the hall says it was built by a wealthy family who intended to sell it to the college. The family's old butler, Mortimer, had some mental health issues and killed a young girl in the house, hiding her body in the attic. This is how students explain the ghostly sounds of a screaming girl or man laughing heard here on occasion. However, Michael Duane of the class of 1980, now a tax attorney in Pennsylvania, did admit to making up and telling this story to freshmen who, who in, in turn perpetuated the rumors. Still, many swear that there are ghosts that are not works of Duane's imagination in McDonough Hall. Next, we'll head over to Fort Covington. Parkhurst House, also known as Nye Manor, is a circa 1820 stone house constructed for Army Major Jabez Parkhurst, one of the six confirmed folks to pass away inside the home. Witnesses claim this place is haunted by some of the spirits who linger here as evidenced by multiple flashlights going dead at the same time, disembodied voices, footsteps, doors that closed by themselves, and lights that were in use when the place had no occupants and no electricity. Next we'll head over to Popeville. This is kind of just a fun tidbit, it's the ghost town of Popeville. This town had so much promise and it was only 19. It was born in 1873, a child of Andrew Williams, Smith M. Weed, and Gardner Pope. They created the Pope and Williams and Company, an entity to form the iron-making village that would be supplied with ore from the Shattagay Ore Company. The reason for Popeville being positioned at the outlet of Lower Chattagay Lake was to turn Lion Mountain ore into the finest iron in the world. Next, we'll head over to Merrill. The following is from the article in Adirondack Life entitled, Greek Tragedy, a Haunting Relic in the Northern Adirondacks. Not far from the sunny side of Route 374, in the northern Adirondack hamlet of Merrill, rests the skeleton of a Greek amphitheater. Its mossy tiers are broken by weeds and sprinkled with blowdown and beer bottles. Ancient lettering skirts the stage, a crumbling altar marks its heart. This unlikely ruin, tucked within the chill of the forest, make a, makes a spooky scene. Even if you disregard the whispers about the architect, Franklin Sargent, one grisly tale casts Sargent as an enraged lover who decapitated his lady, his lady fair, and buried her head under the altar. Word around the schoolyards is word around the schoolyards is the place echoes with her screams at midnight. The real story is only a little bit less sensational. Sargent, who who founded New York City's American Academy of Dramatic Arts in the 1880s, fell for Upper Chattagay Lake during his trips trips to visit friends, including dance instructor Alice Bentley. Around 1910, he commissioned his own summer home overlooking the lake. His special request, according to local lore, was a windowless hidden room. The small-scale amphitheater was cut into the hillside near his cottage in 1916. It was designed for private student performances though Isadora Duncan would later dance there to the to a record to a reading of Iphigenia at Aulis. The theater was modeled after classical structures. Its performance was area was originally framed by a column temple on the altar traditionally dedicated To Dionysus, god of wine and patron of theater, an inscription urged visitors to bring an offering in remembrance and praise of a soul that has left us. Not the kind of detail to quash rumors of a buried lover, but the only person Sargent ever killed was himself. In 1923, the Plattsburgh Sentinel reported that the 67-year-old sent a bullet crashing into his brain during a layover in the the Plattsburgh Hotel. Although he left a business-like note, it's unclear why the successful and well-liked teacher took his life. A close friend, noted producer David Belasco, blamed Sargent's failed romance with a student and beautiful stage actress Mary Anderson. It was the memory of an old love, he told the Associated Press. Anderson, who died years later in England, is almost certainly not haunting Sergeant Snow, which he, left to live in, which he left to his live-in maid, Sadie, but that hasn't stopped troops of trespassers from trying to catch her lonely performance. I'll definitely be posting a photo of this on our social media, so keep an eye out for it. Lastly, we're going to move on to Malone. These last few stories are first-hand accounts. The first one submitted by Chantel. I grew up in malone all my life i lived in a house on duane street in malone and a few years back i lived in the middle room at the very top of the stairs i had this trunk in my room and every night or even during the day we would hear something moving across the floor in my room a dragging sound it was my trunk few nights later i was watching my two brothers and my cousins and i was in the kitchen making dinner and my brother and my cousin came into the kitchen to get a drink On their way back into the living room, they froze, and the color of their faces disappeared. They didn't say anything, they just stood there frozen. When I went to see what was going on, there was a dark, shadowy figure at the foot of the steps. A few minutes later, the dark figure disappeared. Then we were sitting in the living room watching television, and dragging noises and very faint voices were heard from coming upstairs. They were coming from my room. My mother told me that every night she would come out of her room and as she was heading down the steps she would look in on me. She would see an old man sitting on my bed next to me and just stare at me the whole time. I would even see a strange bluish or whitish orbs around my room. My cousin and I were also hanging out in my room when my trunk started to slide across my floor towards us. My trunk wasn't very light as it had over a hundred things on it. To this day I don't know who the man that sat on my bed was but I don't think the dark mass or figure was him. The next story is submitted by Paul. My friends and I went to the abandoned house on the Cook's Corners Road in North Bangor. It's a white house. The story goes that there was a family of three, a dad, a mom, and a daughter. The little girl was outside playing in the driveway with a ball and it bounced out onto the road and a tractor trailer was going down the road and it hit her. The father went outside to get his daughter and found her dead. He was so emotionally distressed he went into the house and killed his wife and hanged her in the upstairs bedroom closet then he hanged himself in the basement there's a note from a little girl to her mom if you go in the closet where she was hanged the weird thing is the little girl was dead when the note was written and the closet door is shut they say if you look in the window and the they say if you look in the window in the upstairs window above the porch on the roof you'll see him dragging his wife in the closet and you will see the little girl in a light blue dress in the small window just to the left my friends and i went in that house and we heard an older female scream an older man crying and also one that said get out now we heard the little girl giggle to us and say do you want to play we all got the hell out of there and i will never go in that house or past it again and next we have a story that was submitted anonymously about three to four years back my family and i lived in an apartment complex in malone known as indian trails one night in late june my sister and i were on our beds it was about 3:10 in the morning and we were laying there awake because we couldn't sleep we heard small children laughing playing below our bedroom window which was on the second floor by the way our beds were by the window so we sat up and looked down and there was nothing there we laid back down and tried to get to sleep when we heard the same thing five or six minutes later this time my sister looked out the window and she claimed to see a little girl with very pale skin wearing a baby blue formal 19- 1920s dress with blood on it the girl had long blonde hair and was tied with a bow in the back we never told our parents because they'd think we we're insane a few nights later, we heard footsteps that sounded like maybe a dar- large dog running up the stairs of our apartment. We figured out somehow that the little girl's name was Lucy. She came to us in a dream. She Apparently, she used to live on a farm and she was killed by one of the workers. We were guessing the dog was hers too. It was pretty freaky, but since then, I was 12. I've always been interested in the paranormal. We no longer live there. And lastly, submitted by Catalina, I was born and raised here in Malone and every and been and I've been everywhere in Franklin County and believe me I know all the hot spots. I am what you call a medium. So I can walk by a house or a building and know if there's activity there. There is a school called Flanders and it is very very true about being very haunted. I've seen the little Indian girl everyone keeps talking about. I always bring my two sons there to play and one day they were taking their shoes off to see which one could fling their f- shoe farther because they said she was playing that with them. The little Indian girl was doing the same thing as the boys were and all I did was smile. She turned her head and smiled back at me and then continued to play with the boys. She's harmless and just likes to play. made me never want to drive through the adirondacks at night again so let's cheers to those spooky mid and north country stories as always i wanted to make sure i mentioned the wonderful sources i got some of today's information from including onlyinyourstate.com hauntedhistorytrail.com lakeplacid.com hauntedplaces.org tenbest.com ghostsofamerica.com, visitmalone.com, and adirondacklife.com. Well friends, that's all for today. Keep your eye out for upcoming episodes, including some spooky guests and more ghost stories, airing weekly on Sunday nights. Just a reminder, we need stories, so please submit your story. We want to share them. Don't forget to check us out at haunted518.com where you can subscribe for updates. You can also find and follow our Haunted 518 Facebook and at the Haunted 518 Instagram. Or you can always email us your story at thehaunted518 at gmail.com. And please, rate and subscribe. That is incredibly helpful for us. So until next time, happy haunting.